Welcome back to Locked Women's Basketball. Today, we're talking about our 2024 preseason WNBA draft big board released at the next, including breakdowns into over 30 prospects in this year's class. Locked Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. You are Locked Women's Basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. My name is Andrew Cruz. I'm your Saturday host. Covering the NBA draft and prospect scouting, I'm joined by my co-hosts M. Adler and Lincoln Schaefer. M. covers the NBA with a focus on player development and the, the game within the game. Lincoln is our biomechanics guru and contributes to our WNBA draft coverage at the next. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports, go to prizepicks.com slash NBA and use code all lowercase NBA for a free deposit match up to $100. Yeah, so the... Just take listeners a little bit behind the scenes. You know, this doesn't just happen by us throwing a bunch of names at the wall and saying, yeah, that looks like a good order, or it doesn't happen through us, you know, trying to get different reports from around the industry just to put them all within the list of how they're going to get drafted. You know, there are names on this list that we know are definitely going to get drafted well ahead of where we have them on our rankings. But for us, it's about coming together and taking some pretty extensive notes that we've compiled over the past few years and coming together and spending uh, really an unreasonable amount of time late one night a week or two ago and just saying, okay, what are the grades that each of us would put on all these players? What does that translate to just in terms of trying to sort of average these things out? And then very loosely and very unscientifically uh, doing tiebreakers between them, which I decided uh, mostly for my own purposes was just going to be whatever the max grade on any player was, was going to be the tiebreaker. Sometimes that was convenient. Sometimes that wasn't. <laughs> but you know, what that results in is it results in a process where you know we have effectively the the same grade on you know uh, we have effectively the same grade on Asia Blackwell, kind of in the same way that we do have the same grade on Hannah Jump, almost the same grade as Rakia Jackson and Angel Reese and Keisha Lockett. But what that translates to on the board is differences of, you know, five spots, maybe almost ten in some places. And it means that things are a little exaggerated. So, you know, we tear things off to make things a little bit easier within that realm and assess them there. But again, this all comes down to, you know, what we're evaluating at. What that means is for us, it's really focused on not where a player's coming from just from their senior year. It's not focused on sort of where their ceiling is and just what their odds of becoming a future star are, unless we're just talking about, you know, players who we've determined are going to be in our grades, you know, top half of the first rounders, in which case you really, in the W, you need to swing for possible stars. If it comes down, you know, later in those rounds, we're really focused on looking at players' developmental arcs, seeing, you know, where they're coming from, where they're going to, and especially what skills are we looking at and saying these are the ones that, you know, are really going to make or break the difference between them. No, hitting their floors and hitting their ceilings. I, I think a really great example of sort of that arc is with Aaliyah Edwards. Aaliyah Edwards was promising her freshman year. Her sophomore year, she basically fouled herself off the floor throughout the NCAA tournament. 
and also just was just was extraordinarily unimpactful doing anything but screening throughout most of that season. And then last year, she was probably the most improved player in the country, but also kept getting better throughout the season at some of the soft skills. Hunter, you did a great job of identifying those, and I want to throw that to you later in just a minute. But what that says to us is, you know, not only is she so polished, but she's actually getting better at a lot of the sort of raw skills and adding to her game that is hard for us to often see. And within the context of her age, that means there's a lot of promise there. And when you add to that, in terms of what we said with the polish, we can already look at her game and say, you know, this is a thing that we can see fitting really well into W role. And when you have that and you're expanding to that, it gives you a much higher floor and a much higher ceiling than someone like Angel Reese where when we look at her game, we say, you know, we easily see how she becomes, you know, in all WNBA level player. There are so many defensive tools, or there are so many defensive skills, and the offensive tools are there. She's a dominant driver. But the question is always, for us at least, and we've mentioned this before, what's the counter to the game? And where is she actively getting better? And it's hard to see those things for us at the moment. And, you know, that's why we ask questions. We don't call them weaknesses on the board. Um, because we want to see things in the end. We're not locking things into stone. But it does mean that there's a lot of room for error. And Lincoln, I want to ask you, you know, when we come to this board, you know, like I said, these are consensus grades between us. We're not we're not unanimous on these things. What what do you think were the were the biggest players where you know you, me, and Hunter really had the most difference from your grades? Yeah, I I think that I um have a few differences from you guys. I'm a little bit higher on um, defensive playmaking sometimes, which that's that's just a result of all of our different pathways to getting to this point, how we watch basketball and what we value in players. I'm, I'm high on Charisma Osborne. She is an incredible defender. She's a really good playmaker, especially out of pick and roll. Uh, the outside shot hasn't been there. I'm willing to chalk a lot of that up to the uh, continued shoulder issues she's had, um, which is not something that uh, most people would do. But I still think that she can be a really good WNBA player. Her point of attack defense is something that really intrigues me. Um, and we're always going to have differences on players in our player evaluation parts because that's how basketball works is that nobody sees it the same as someone else. So. That's just something that's really interesting to me. And one of my favorite parts of this is trying to see the different perspectives on different players and just how we um, we all watch basketball in different ways and how we evaluate in different ways and how that um, affects the, the final outcome of where we end up. Hunter, who would you say is the player that you're the farthest from me looking on, either too high or too low? Well, not too high or too low, but either higher or lower. I would say Maddie Westville is the one I'm – I have a pretty stark difference between where she's at on our consensus board versus where I'm at. I'm just someone that really values athleticism, positional value, and uh, just just athleticism in general is something I put a lot of emphasis on uh, with, with my evaluation. Like last year, I was extremely high on Letitia Meyer, uh, Maya Hirsch. These are players that were a lot based on raw abilities versus what they're actually at right now. And that's why I'm high on Leah Edwards as well. And, and she, I have a 60 grade on her just with the core strength, her lower body flexibility and everything she can do as an athlete. I really value that even though she's slightly undersized at 6'3", I really value 
um, her technique and just how she operates at the center position. I think there's a lot of versatility. You put her at the four, at the five. Um, you likely want someone next to her that's also got some, some some more size to alleviate some of that pressure. But I think there's a lot of value in someone like her as well. Yeah, to get into the Maddie Westfeld trade for just a quick second. You know, when it came to pretty much every, pretty much everyone, honestly, after Celeste Taylor, it was pretty decent. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't say wide. There was a decent range on where we were with some of these evaluations, just in terms of the rankings with respect to each other. You know, most of these grades and these rankings end up coming out pretty evenly with respect to where each of us were having them. But with some of them, you know, one person was able to pull them sort of in one direction or another. And I, like I said, that, that wasn't common, but, you know, Charisma Osborne definitely jumped up a few spots because of Lincoln's uh, grade on her. Maddie Westfeld was fully because of me. Um, you know, I, I had her, I think, one spot higher on my personal board than she ended up on our consensus. And, you know, I think Hunter, you had her as basically like a non-consideration which like is fair like i see you can see that in watching her that there's like if she was like a step quicker she'd be a first round prospect and if she was a step slower like i don't think anyone would ever think about her um even close to it for for me it's always about you know the rarity of the skill level at the position and how much value that brings and for me it's you know if if there if it's even possible to find a half step quicker with many westfeld She's one of the most skilled fours in pro ball. Um, I think that's that's where I have that on that. Uh, but after the break, I will uh, happily share the player that I pulled, um, especially far in our board. Prize picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. You can just select two players, two or more players, pick more or less on the projected stats and place your entry. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes Prize Picks the, the number one fantasy sports app. Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks uh, discount select players values up to 25% provide even more value price picks now offers apple pay for quick and easy deposits into into your account this football season go to pricepicks.com locked on nba or use code locked on nba for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars all right so let's get back into our discussion on our 2024 wba draft preseason draft board and I'll give it to you, Em, to kind of explain this this for us. The I think the player on my end that I that I pulled the farthest on our board one direction the other. I think I think it's pretty straightforward in that 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 for me was Diamond Johnson. No, I think it, it was possible Diamond Johnson might just be an honorable mention on our board, but I I had a pretty solidly high. I had her 18th on my personal board, and that's given the fact that you know she had been injured for most of last year. She was sort of in what I think people could agree was not a role fitting her talent the year before at NC State when she was coming off the bench. Um, you know, I think we'll see what happens this year at Norfolk State, and it's very unfortunate that it's, you know, they play an interesting non-conference schedule, uh, so they have some good opponents. We're not going to 
take a look at that. But I think, you know, just in terms of the the skill set, you know, she could jump up even higher for me, just proving for the most part health and she still has the ability to solve pressure as a sophomore and consistency against like top uh, defenses. But for me, it was, you know, when she's been healthy last year and she was healthy before in, in that year as well, there wasn't a lot that I saw from her that suggested that there just wasn't a lot of skill here and that there wasn't enough shot making and more than enough playmaking and enough at least like defensive capability to make up for you know the, the hype. I was frankly surprised that um, as many people as as I talked to, including you two, including a couple other scouts that we know, um, they, they weren't super high on Diamond Johnson. I was a little surprised. I think that she will probably prove some players wrong. Not sorry, not some players. I, I think I think she'll prove some people wrong, and I, I I'd, I'd be willing to put some solid money on that, frankly. Um, and in terms of, I think what was farthest away from the Mrs. Grade on, honestly, all these pretty much came close to what I had. Maddie Westfeld and um, Diamond Johnson were probably for me the high grades um, that I was higher on. I also might have been honestly the the high grade on Carla Carla uh, <clears throat> Carla Lethe from France. You know, for me, it was she has shown so much skill and so much ability on both ends that like the questions for her are literally just. Is there more room for buy-in here? And can she just do things more often that she's already doing? And for me, what I see those, you know, we have very, very stark differences, um, the three of us, in terms of what we think are the most and least developable, developable things. And for me, when I see those, I'm like, well, that's a lot easier to, to change in a player and in a prospect than, than you know, something like completely adding a jump shot to someone who has not been able to have any sort of decent jump shot before. Uh, it's better than, you know, trying to get a player to have the hip flexibility and footwork to get over and under ball screens without losing their defensive assignment at the point of attack if they've clearly shown that they're not very good at that. You know, and I, I think that comes out in some of the players, and especially in the differences in what we're trying to see with where these players we have ranked and where we think they're going to hit in some areas and where that's going to translate and where for some other players or that might be a poison pill. Um, you know, Hunter, we've worked on at this point, basically two and a half um, seasons worth of boards together. At this point, you know, what, how did this class sort of, at least just coming into the season, how has this class, I think, sort of challenged you in terms of having to assess where players are going to might be able to develop more than others where did this class show you different skill sets that you know we that, that you might have had to go outside of your comfort zone and sort of put yourself in an interesting position trying to assess yeah there's a lot of guards in this class compared to last year we're <laughs> we're, we're talking about different positions where for me, it was really tough diving into all these guards and trying to decide what are the biggest differences between these players because we're talking about similar skill sets with a lot of these players. Um, and I think, like when we were going through our comps for the for our board, there's not a lot of guards in league history like the players in this class. Um, just There's mm -hmm. not easy comps just because of how the WPA is structured. It's a lot more big heavy. Where we're seeing with this class, we have a lot more guards than we do have bigs and it's not even really close there so i think for me i was more so diving into the guards and trying to conceptualize what what do they do good and what is the value in this draft because 
there's a lot of players, and that's really different from last year, where it was kind of easy for us to rank players because players dropped that were close. So for me, yeah, it was it was the guards. Well, and another thing that separates this class from uh, the last several classes is you have uh, a, a depth at the very top of the class that you didn't really have the last mm-hmm. few classes where we have these three that have kind of separated themselves for us in Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, and Cameron Brink, who have all shown incredible talent in their um, in their college career so far. And to have that depth at the very top of the class and also match that with uh, like a dozen grades that are higher than we that would have been like top six in last year's class for us is is really fascinating to have the depth of talent in both the star area and in among the role players that are projected role players uh, in this class. And to be clear, there are actually, I think, even fewer or sort of a, a lower concentration of players among this board, this preseason board that we have that we've done. Um, a lower concentration of players who are in their fifth years who are out of eligibility than there were in last year's postseason board. Um, or at least at, at the point in time that we were making it before people really declared whether or not they were going to use that fifth year coming to the draft. So there's a lot of volatility in this board. And, you know, some names that I wouldn't say we necessarily expect to go one way or the other, but, but some names that, you know, if we had to put guesses or educated bets on, you know, I would say I think most of us expect Paige, Paige to go back to UConn, Cam probably to come out, Caitlin could, I think, could be a very interesting leverage play in terms of where she wants to get her money from. And if a team she doesn't want to go to wins the lottery, maybe she, like, almost publicly leverages her way leverages her way to a more favorable team for herself the following year. You know, I think someone like Aaliyah Edwards might go either way, but if we're looking at UConn's depth chart, it would make sense, uh, given relationships there for Nika Mule to come out this year. I think both Indiana guards probably go back to school. You know, there's a lot, there's so much, uh, not for volatility here. Honestly, would it surprise either of you if we had three internationals in the first round just because of uh, the, the ability for so many college players to pull out? No, there's a real chance Layla Lacan, who is our top international prospect, who we view as one of the best international prospects in recent memory of being a top three. At least recent memory, for sure. It's possible, but I want to go through our top ten for, for the listeners. It's Caitlin Clark is uh, – we are we are very confident that her median outcome is just your average perennial MVP candidate, which is to say we think the odds of her being – average. Well, yeah, we we think the odds of her being like an inner circle Hall of Famer are this are which I guess is the same thing. We we think the odds of her being one of if not like a couple greatest point guards of all time are about the same odds of her like winning maybe one MVP and just making a bunch of all W teams. <laughs> Paige and Cameron Brink for us are both uh, basically just a tier below that. That's all. W, that's players who we believe are going to be basically perennial all-WA players and challenge for at least one or two MVPs throughout their career. Behind that, Aaliyah Edwards and Layla Lacan, consistently plus starters on first division, you know, playoff contender, and like real contender teams, um, you know, Ken Pratt, basically as good of odds as being 
you know, all W players as they have essentially being like solid bench players for their career. A grade below that, so basically just we think average starters, about the same odds of being um, end of the bench players as all stars. That's Matty Shear, Travis Walker, Jason Sheldon, Tina Falpao, Richard Amore, and Nadia Bush, just to break it down by tiers. And I think. You know, in terms of that, like the difference between for us, Maddie Shear and Nadia Quoche, again, that is, that's a difference of, like I said at the top, that's a six or seven spot difference compared to, you know, there is one spot between Maddie Shear and Nadia Lincoln. But for us, that's a, that, that's, there's a two great difference there. That's, that's pretty significant. That's a difference, again, between, um, I think it's, I actually have this written down. Sorry for what is terrible podcasting at the moment. But, that, but that's such a the difference between, um, about a full win above replacement level per season. And that's important. That's really important. Spread across the entire straight lineup, that's a five-win difference. So, you know, again, a one-spot difference in the board can mean a lot more than a six, seven-spot difference in the board. And that's, I think, the most uh, important part. Uh, and coming up after the break, we're excited to continue diving into the board to talk about how difficult it was to come up with some of these comps. Right now, customers get $150 in bonus bets for the winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get into the action. The app is easy to use. There are a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player pops, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. All right, so this isn't our historical scouts, but we're going to get into some more comps for these prospects. The comp section is tough because, like I said earlier, with some players, there's not a lot of good comps. Like trying to come up with floor comps for a player we view as an MVP median outcome is really tough. Um, same with coming up with comps for um, just some of these guards and some of these players that we view as really unique skill sets to what we see in the, in the women's side, which is more common on the men's side. These are just skill sets that are just different. Um, yeah. And I wanted to, get... I, yeah, I, I actually wanted to go, go off of that uh, from before because what you mentioned in terms of having trouble with that is something that I think as we went along in this really drove home what this class means for the W and, you know, mm -hmm. about this class, because when we, for the most part, when we're talking about this, when we say this class, we're talking about players who are at least seniors this year. It, we, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know why you would be. I, I'm sorry for whatever led you here. But if you're listening to this podcast a year, two years down the line, we're referring to essentially the players that make up this class and next year's class, depending on what, when, which uh, draft they declare for. And I think it really gets into when we're looking at, you know, trying to come up with floor and ceiling comps for Charlie's Ledger Walker, when we're trying to come up with really any W comps for ND and Rogers, when we're trying to figure this out for uh, a Celeste Taylor and a Georgia Amor. These are players, you know, looking at specifically some of these guards, kind of like you're saying, I had the most trouble doing this with the guards we really see as sort of like pick and roll players. So like Charlie's Ledger Walker, for example, we have 
for ceiling. There's a little preview for several months from now when the postseason work comes out and we get floors and ceilings there too. But we have our ceiling as Kyle Lowry. And that sort of makes sense. We have her as a combo guard, but we also have her as a primary ball handler. And that's kind of a weird mix. You know, as someone who you kind of want to be the primary feature of the offense, but also isn't like a true full half for playmaker. They can kind of do a lot of stuff on and off the ball. Yeah, again, we're talking about someone very similar kind of to Kyle Lowry in terms of the upside there. But it's really weird trying to look at WNBA history and say, where are the players who are sort of that kind of mix of talent? Where are those players that you, with India Rogers or Celeste Taylor or JC Sheldon that you really think of as pick and roll players, but not as the focal point of your offense? It's easy with Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckett because we can say, oh yeah, that's Diane Taurasi, that's Becky Hammond, that's Chelsea Gray, that's Coop. When you get into the lower end, you get into, okay, where's your second best guard who's running a bunch of pick and rolls? Where's your guard coming off the bench? Your Lou Williams, who's going to do that? There's not a lot of depth there. Honestly, the only player I get, like, like of the players we came to, we got like a, a short Ryan Howard for one of these talents. We got Lika Hodges, who pretty much never ran pick and rolls anyway. The play, uh, I kept coming back to trying to figure out like if any of these players could be Alex Bentley, that's the only guard I had in mind there. But she's also a great defender and also never got to the rim. So we're talking about a very limited skill set. And Hunter, Lincoln, I know you guys have both been attuned to this conversation. We've been saying for years between each other, and I think the wider WNBA and college basketball watching audience has been pretty aware that this is a class that is going to redefine the WNBA. And I think that's probably one of the things I'm most excited about. No, I, I guess if you guys, if, if either of you have seen anything from this class that has reinforced that, it may make you question that, is that something that's come up in the scouts and in the board? It's interesting. Um, it is an influx of talent at the guard position in a way that we haven't really seen before. You know, all of a lot of the um, greatest prospects that we've we've done this whole series going back to 1998, all the way to the beginning of the WNBA in 1997, where we talked through all these great prospects, and none of them are guards except for that three-year stretch between 2001 and 2004, and and to have this this group of guards led by Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers is something that we've never really seen in a draft class in the WNBA before. It's, it's just, it's fascinating to see how, how the league is changing and how the game of basketball is changing. Hunter, you've been talking to some people around the industry, uh, starting to connect with some front office staff, especially player development uh, folks. Do you think, because this, this is probably my biggest concern and this is why, you know, one of the biggest reasons why we often have disconnects between our draft boards and our grades and where players actually end up getting drafted. Do you think that the league has the capability in terms of both roster space, in terms of imagination of coaching and management staff, and in terms of player development infrastructure to actually be able to really take advantage of this sudden influx of guard talent? Yeah, that's that's a tough thing. But I think what we saw last year was I can say some of, some of the guards we saw running offenses, backup units last year, I think some of these players are going to be better than them in like two, three years. So I think we're gonna, probably going to see some of these guards going back. I say maybe half of them go back. 
So I think there might be enough roster spots. Then we're talking about expansion. So we're going to have roster spots for those guards as well. So I don't know. It's, it's a hard conversation because there's so many guards and guards just really need reps, more pick and roll reps. It just need, it's, it's just vital to have roster spots for them to play. So I, I hope, I hope there is enough roster spots. So it, it'd be tough. Yeah, I, mean, players get. I mean, especially when we're talking about, you know, as we were just saying how hard it is with the volume of great, like really good capable pick and roll guards in this game or uh, in this class, you know, the biggest thing is as a pick and roll lead guard, you know, you, are the one who's doing most of the processing on the offensive end for the whole team. You got to be able to get up WNBA speed. And I think, you know, we've seen throughout the historical um, series that there are players who, when you have, when they clearly demonstrate like excellent content processing skills, they are so far ahead of the curve and they adjust so quickly. But there are a lot of raw players who, you know, have that ability to maybe take a minute to get up WNBA speed. And like you're saying, I just hope there's reps to, Make that adjustment um to kind of close us out i just want to ask uh each of you uh lincoln you can start if you want who, who are a couple names on this list that you are most looking forward to this year either to answer a question you have or just to be able to see play again um for at least one more year two names i'll just stick to two right now sarah andrews and jewel spear both of them are incredible shot makers uh they can pass the ball, shoot the ball. Jewel Spear, a little bit more of a, a shot maker. She's been an incredible shot maker, running the offense basically by herself at Wake Forest for the last couple of years. And now putting her in an offensive system at Tennessee, surrounded by a lot more talent with um, a whole lot of shot making on that roster with Rakia Jackson, with um, other players like Jillian Hollingshead and Tamari Key to beat what would have been her best teammates at Wake Forest. Uh, it's it's a whole lot of talent around her that I'm really interested to see. And Sarah Andrews is going to be in um, probably a little bit uh, more ball-dominant role. She's one of my favorite players to watch. She's such an athlete. She's such an interesting pick-and-roll player. And um, those are those are two players that I'm really excited to watch from this class. Baylor overall, I'm very excited to watch just because they have so much talent. They have so little height, but so much length. They have so many Yeah, for me, first, I, I'm, I'm really excited to watch J.C. Sheldon. She had a lower leg injury, and she, her stats really f- fell off last year. And this is someone she we were we really high on last year in last year's class. Yeah, she, she was a player. So, sorry to interrupt, but we got a couple positive, very positive reports on her that I think if she had not gone under, had that injury and if she had decided to declare, I think it's, it's very – hard to see that she would have made it out of the top half of last year's first round. Right. And then the, the other two prospects for me is um, players that aren't on our board, but are on our mentions. I'm excited to watch Sydney Taylor and Kiki Jefferson. These are two players that didn't play many games against high major talents last year. So um, just really answering the question of what kind of prospect are they and are they a prospect? So I threw them on our honorable mention list. I had, I had to do some convincing, but they're on our honorable mention list because I think there's unique skills Kiki Jefferson, their shot making, there's some good athleticism, there's some good positional passing. With Sydney Taylor, you have the shot making, the shooting, the shooting range, one of the best cheap shooters in college basketball um, at five foot nine. Yeah, and that's so, the most. Sorry. Yeah, those, those, are, those are some that's, Yeah, that's the most fun thing for me about the board, honestly, is just when we get together and we 
I don't think it's ever arguing, but it's but it's trying to mm-hmm. convince each other of where to put someone, of where to move the grades. We had a lot of that trying to find consensus grades for the board that we put out with who were the best players across any class um, at the end of last April. But yeah, I mean, you convincing us to put on Kiki Jefferson and Sidney Taylor, me trying to get um, Diamond Johnson on, I think those are the things that have the most fun because it's like real, we're so different in our reports. And it's really something that, you know, when it comes out on the public side, it's we're putting all our names behind it. But for, but privately, it's a chance for us to sort of like remember remember the names that ev- that everyone sort of that's the player that, that 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 is on their beat, and that is who you know come six eight months down the line we can either uh, have a mea culpa or make fun of them for. Right. Thank you, about Ultimate Basketball. Your first listen every day. Join you the next back next week for continued coverage of women's college basketball. Season's almost here. We're almost here. Quick off season. We just had the WNBA season end, but we're back. And we'll be getting to a lot of draft conversation on Saturdays after we conclude our historical scouting series. We're gonna dive into our top prospects of all time list, similar to similar to this board, but ranking the best prospects in WNBA history. Have a great rest of your weekend, everyone.